you're listening to That's the Industry Podcast, episode number six. Today, we're going to be talking about directing and cinematography in the entertainment industry. And the guest you'll hear from today used to work at the Geek Squad at Best Buy and then started filming for A-list celebrities. We talk about why it's extremely important to level up your skills and be multifaceted in this industry and every industry you work in, as well as when and when you should not work for free. Stay tuned. You're listening to That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. That's the Industry with Thomas Jordan. The podcast that takes you inside all the aspects of the entertainment industry. Directly from the people who are making it happen. And now, your host, Thomas Jordan. What's going on, everyone? Thomas Jordan here. Today's guest has worked on over 100 music videos in his career. He's worked with top artists like 2 Chains, Young Thug, Butch Walker, Jermaine Dupri, and even Imagine Dragons. He also heads up all these huge music festivals all over America, such as Bonnaroo, Music Midtown, and Imagine. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Doust. Hey, how's it going, Thomas? What's going on, Tim? So, real quick, we we kind of know each other. We've known each other for a little bit. Yeah, I think so, a little bit. We did the uh, we did the math the other day, and I think it's at least fifteen years. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe, but yeah, it's it's. Um, we worked together at Best Buy. At Best Buy. Best Buy, and and that was a long. It feels like ages ago. Yeah, and it's interesting because when we were working at Best Buy, we had mutual friends, but I had zero clue that you did anything film related well obviously i was fixing computers back then um and so this was more of like a a hobby or a side hustle if you will which you know a lot of people these days can relate to that so but you said at the time when we met it was a side hustle yeah so when did when did it cross when did it cross over into a full-time thing i mean i kind of started shooting as a side hustle back you know 99 2000 and and kind of worked my way in through the music industry and and it really was a side hustle for years and even once it started becoming a little more professional it still didn't cross over because i was working in it you know i was fixing computers so even after i left geek squad i still had a couple of other it jobs and uh to answer your question in 2007 when like the economy started crashing i got laid off from a computer job and uh just went home and I was thinking to myself like what am I going to do like I don't want to I don't want to go look for another job like it's getting tiresome looking for another job that I know is just a dead end to you know a a non-passionate slave type job that I'm going to go to and really not enjoy it I mean I had grown up with computers my whole life so computers were as a natural thing for me to go into because it was easy for me you know a lot of people they just want you know to to be able to go to work and not have to stress out about what they're what they're doing and for me computers that's what it was and i'd been doing it since i was a kid so uh it it was kind of freeing you know i got laid off from my job went home i had just done uh this big live dvd for butch walker um you know so that that was like about to come out and i was thinking to myself wow well what if i just can do this for the rest of my life you know this is what i want to do and how do I make that happen? And, you know, just started at a company and started working for myself. And it was a long road, but I've never looked back. I literally took that money from the Butch Walker project, put it in the bank, and I've never touched it since then. And that's kind of been my motto that, you know, as long as I never have to touch that money, then I'm doing well. So it was hard. It was really hard. Yeah. And for those who don't know who Butch Walker is, he's a huge artist uh, out of Atlanta, Georgia. And he, uh, if you haven't heard of him, uh, you've definitely heard his, he's a music producer as well for like Pink, Avril Lavigne, Gavin DeGraw. I mean, the, I mean, Fallout Boy. Fallout Boy. I mean, he just, he just did the brand new Green Day album. Yeah. Weezer. I mean, I think he's even neighbors with a couple of those people, but yeah, he's, he's kind of a big deal here, uh, in the Southeast as well as on the West coast. Um, but how did you even get connected with him? I was bootlegging his concerts. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I met him in 99, 2000, probably about 2000. Yeah, it was 2000. He was in a band called Marvelous 3. And the, my girlfriend at the time was a huge fan of his. Uh, I had never heard of the guy, you know, ever. Uh, 
she introduced me to his music and then next thing you know i'm hooked like i saw him live and i'm like holy crap this is the best musician i've ever seen i can't believe that there's someone this good i fell in love with him immediately so i somehow some way you know i, I think it was my first or second camera it's like a sony handycam uh camcorder I, I went out and just asked him, hey, can I film your show? And he said, yeah, man, cool, awesome. And, you know, they, he put me on the list, got a video pass. And I think I probably did that 20 or 25 times before I finally started doing it with more than one camera. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it really started as just bootlegging these concerts. And, you know, I don't really know if it was for a purpose or you know, at the time, I'm not sure what my thought process was. I just really loved filming a good musician, you know, uh, and having someone who appreciated the way that I could make them look um, was probably like the, the thing that sparked my creativity with it. And, you know, the, the, the word got around and there was another band here named Injected uh, from, from here in Atlanta or Roswell area. And I somehow some way became a huge fan of them through some of my other friends and uh eventually one of those friends started playing in the band injected when uh their guitarist uh unfortunately left the band and that connection somehow steamrolled over years and years and years we're talking about from 2000 to 2006 developing relationships with people to finally get butch walker to entrust me to doing this live dvd which was a big deal because at the time he had not had he had had a live in budokan dvd i think um which is from live in japan but it was not very good and you know it, he wanted something that represented what a rock show felt like you know what what it felt like to go to his rock show and he didn't have anything yet yeah. and at that time people we were just just barely getting over into hd so everything that had been recorded previously was all standard definition and i think butch being you know a very tech savvy person and he you know he had a huge curve on pro tools and everything back in the late 90s so you know with with his expertise he kind of saw this kid me could kind of help uh capture a moment in time that he that was important to him uh and 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 hopefully his fans and he entrusted it to me and my buddy chris onk chris onk was the you know the kind of the other spearhead uh person to to vouch for me and he was the one who was recording all the audio um he's the one who produced all of the audio mixed it mastered it i think i think we had some other people working on it too but it's basically chris and i worked together at making that project happen and um still to this day I, I, there's lots of video out there of butch especially now the past 10 10 years there's tons of it but um Prior to 2009, there was really nothing, and uh, my DVD is is lives on through the fans as one of his best, and you know it's sold out show, five thousand people Tabernacle here in Atlanta. We shot it with nine cameras. I think when we got into editing, we only used seven of the cameras, but still, editing seven cameras in HD back in 2006, 2007, that's a big deal. Uh, to most people they were barely even, yeah. even editing on computers so yeah to me uh to answer your question i got in with doing that and that kind of fell in my lap through just connections i made over years of hustling and showing that i was really passionate about something and i think passion ultimately leads you down the path to to finding what you want and, and and manifesting it the thing i love about that story is you literally asked him like in person was like hey can i do this he's like yeah sure man like yeah. that, that doesn't happen nowadays you got no, you got well, you got i'm sure you've got so it, many walls and gatekeepers to go through now yeah and i you know the thing is is like he's such a nice guy Mm. You know, I mean, he, he, he probably didn't want me to, you know, he probably <laughs> wanted to say no, but he's such a nice guy. And, you know, he, I think, I think he just saw something in my eyes that was like, you know, this passion or fire. And he was like, sure, why not? You know, uh, and of course, when it started, it was just like, what harm is this going to be? This kid's just going to document this. And, you know, the, anyone who actually knows Butch Walker, any of his real diehard fans know that before me, there were lots of people who were filming his shows because he puts on such a good show that it became like this thing where a lot of fans would trade 
VHS tapes of the shows. So through the whole Marvelous three years, and even before that, he was in another band called Floyd's, and before that, South Gang. Um, all of those bands, he really encouraged and embraced people who were willing to come out and film because to him, I think it, it really was a way to like preserve that, like a photo, if you will, but with a video. And so I have tapes dating back to the early 90s of Butch Walker that, you know, we've digitized and put online. And, uh, you know, hopefully they've found their way to some fan who really wants to hear them. And that to me just like ultimately gives me joy. You know, uh, I don't think you should be in this industry if you don't want to make things for other people to enjoy. I mean, that's the point of entertainment. Yeah. And it's so interesting to see some of your work prior to then. And then some of your work now, because I think I even stumbled across the video of you guys at Blockbuster. Do you remember that? What? <laughs> yeah, I swear. Oh, oh, you mean at Best Buy? Yeah. Oh, no, at the Best Buy, we worked at. Yeah. I filmed. Yeah, Best but, Buy. Sorry, yeah, sorry, Yeah, sorry. no, okay. Now I know. He did. I think he did play like some blockbuster music. Yeah, I actually did. No, I I, I, um, I think the, what you're talking about is. It's, bo it's, it's both. It's both. <laughs> because I was like, because there's video of him on, uh, in a blockbuster and your name popped up. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. And then when well, you're tired, that's when Marvelous 3 had their last album came out. Or they yep. like the radio station came down. They had like a live show. That was a in the parking best lot. buy. And yeah. that was in, not even in the parking lot. That was right by the service desk, like the return customer yeah. service desk at Best Buy. Yep. Like I, I it was insane. I think even right before that or right after that, Foo Fighters played there too at the Best Buy where we worked. This is like years before we worked. And then I think they even had, there was another band, like I, I can't remember. There was, there was at least three or four people who played at that Best Buy, which I don't know why they don't do that anymore. But also, I also don't know why they ever did that. That's weird. Yeah. But um, I don't think they could handle the capacity nowadays. It, it, Foo it Fighters in there, that's not happening. It was insane. Like, I mean- we didn't even work there at the time, and I could tell, like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of a lot of stuff being stolen right now. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, LP, the LP guy's going to be busy. Oh man! But you were, I mean, were you filming insane. though for that? Yeah, we filmed with a couple cameras. There's myself, uh, my girlfriend at the time had a camera. Um, she now works for Turner and CNN. She's been working with with Turner for years, but. Uh, she had a camera, I had a camera, we had another person with a camera and eventually I got a copy of that. And, um, it was on at the time 99 X was this huge radio station here. So, and they loved Butch Walker and Marvelous three. And so they actually broadcast that show live as a live X on the radio. So I took the audio from the radio, matched it up with my video and boom, it's on the internet. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact that I was even able to do that in 2000, I mean, again, there's a lot of people that in 2000 had no idea how to edit footage on a computer. Um, I was very fortunate to have had uh, kind of a, a head start uh, with with being in film and video production in high school. Uh, and my teacher there in high school, Jamie Chuvin, uh, shout out to Jamie Chuvin. He taught me how to edit and uh, he worked for Turner as well before he started teaching. But I had started that in 97. You know, so from 97, 98, 99, 2000, I was, I'd been, been doing this stuff, learning how to do it. Yeah. And, and, and come 2000, bam, I'm filming Butch Walker and you know, it's, it's the rest is history. I mean, I can't even, it's hard to think about that. That's been 20 years, you know yeah. what I mean? 20 years this year since I did that. And, um, you know, maybe maybe there's a way you can put some links or something in there. Yeah, we yeah, we'll definitely. Videos, yeah, we'll, we'll put some old uh, some uh, links of some old footage uh, in the show notes for sure. Now, was it even called cinematography back? Like, because nowadays with like YouTube and every everybody can shoot, everybody can edit. But like what you're talking about, you're like way ahead of the curve before ever. Like, I don't even I mean, nowadays. I think, I think that was probably more at the time videography. Yeah, I was more of like a videographer. Um, Cinematography has been around for decades. I mean, since the dawn of cinema, uh, black and white movies, you know, silent movies. I mean, that's yeah. cinematography at, the, at its heart. But, you know, I think, you know, and, and that's probably something we could go into, too, is like the yeah. differences or yeah. like what is what is the job of one or are they the same, which they pretty much are the same. But essentially, anyone with a camera in their hand, it, it, they have a job. It's either to capture what's happening or to create what's happening. And I think either one is powerful and uh, being good at one doesn't make you any less, you know, 
of a, of a professional because you're only good at one. So like, there's this big joke, uh, especially right now. I see it a lot uh, with memes and stuff within the entertainment industry, where there's like a videographer, or wedding videographers, a lesser of a professional because they do weddings, whereas this other guy is way better because they shoot this other stuff. I mean, here's the thing: like, passion and talent to tell stories with pictures or vi or, or video is is something that whether you're doing it for weddings or whether you're doing it for a corporation or whether you're doing it for a band or whether you're doing it for yourself, I think that it, it, there's, there's little small hurdles that you have to get through of, of, of learning through all of those things. And, and I think that there's no, there's no, there's no better or worse on any of them. So when I, when I look at like someone talking about like a videographer, and this kind of is going to come full circle yeah. of what we were talking about. You know, I, I don't think there's anything lesser of that. And I think everyone to a certain degree, when they first pick up a camera is a videographer, that's kind of the, the stepping stone, if you will. And as you develop your skills and your craft, you, you learn more about, well, this does this and this affects perception when people watch it this way. And so, you know, I can tell a story like this or I can film this and make it feel like this. And those things carry over into becoming a better and better storyteller, which ultimately I think a cinematographer is someone who creates a story, whereas a videographer um, kind of just captures it. Right. So like one of the biggest skill sets a videographer leads themselves to is normally like documentary filmmaking, which is a huge proponent to to telling stories across lots and lots of entertainment. I mean, the documentary films are great and, and they carry over to television series, everything. So I think it's a very important skill to just be able to learn what it takes to tell stories with with video. And um, where I started with that is is videography. So um to answer your question, filming these bands and filming Butch Walker started as just let me figure out how to how to capture him. You know, let me be a fly on the wall to where I'm not bothering or stepping or, you know, stepping over my bounds and interrupting what he's doing for the audience. I don't even want the audience to know I'm there. I just want to capture him the best way possible, but from the audience's point of view, right? Like the, my style of filming a band is – how, or an artist in general is how do I make the person watching this feel like they're there or feel like they're watching them themselves instead of it be this like overly produced thing where, where maybe, you know, this disconnected a little bit. Yeah. And how long did it take for you to call yourself a cinematographer? Like you started off as a videographer. When did you feel like you had gained the experience where it's like, I'm a cinematographer now, just not another videographer. Well, hmm. To answer that, I think I have to bring up the path of being a director. Yeah. Because what what ultimately happened is after I started my own company and I started working for myself, I mean, ultimately, as your own boss, you kind of uh, develop an ego of some sort. You know, you have to in order to, to, to be an entrepreneur and run your own business. So uh, I really wanted to direct movies uh, uh, you know ultimately there was a point in time and I, and still but there there was there's a point in time where I, I and it was probably somewhere between 2007 and 2008 where I just said you know what I I want to I want to do video production or film production but LA or Hollywood is so far outside of my grasp from being like this tangible thing I can touch and being in Atlanta videography seem like the you know or video production in general seemed like the way to go and ultimately i had to figure out a way to make that happen and so a lot of the manifesting of 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 what i wanted to have happen required me to be a director and make it happen because i couldn't just wait around for other people so um I was directing for years. So from 2007 all the way, you know, I still currently direct occasionally, but I would say from 2007 to 2014, I was a director and I was trying to put myself out there as a director. I was really trying real hard. And through years of working with other directors of photography or other cinematographers, hiring them to shoot with me as a director, I, I, 
discovered that my passion really lie within cinematography. I, 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 I can relate it back to working at Blockbuster, working at Regal, you know, all these movie theaters I worked at, all these movie studio stores I worked at. I can relate all that stuff back then. Like I really wanted to make movies, but I, I didn't know anything about it. So I didn't know what I wanted to do. And when I got put in a position uh, to where here and now I can do what I want, you know, do, do whatever you want to do. I, I decided, well, let me just make this or let me go make this project. Let me go make this project. So whether I was producing, producing, directing, producing, directing and directing, you know, DPing or, or filming it, you know, I, I just took the devil by the horns and made it happen every which way. So I would say that I kind of got burnt out because from t 2011 through 2015, I shot, I worked on so many music videos. I shot them. I directed them. I directed, shot, and edited them. You know, I just shot them. I, I did everything. And through years and years and years of of getting burnt out of directing, it kind of just called me. Cinematography did. It just said, you know what? You put all of your passion into these treatments, and you put all of your passion into making these artists look good, and more often than not through the entire process the thing i enjoyed the most was cinematography and the actual camera and lighting departments of what we were doing i liked that more than having to figure out how to get the props you know where do i get the the location where is my models going to come from what what are we doing in this scene you know like all of those things were it was great it was fun to be creative but you know and and we can bounce onto this later the the there was a, a lot of things that kept happening that were discouraging to me as a director. And like those discouraging things that would happen drove me to, to finding my true passion, which is cinematography. And that's as a whole, doesn't mean I won't direct anymore. I definitely still love directing. I just have more passion to be behind the camera and, and, and create the images. How important is it to be multifaceted in this industry? Oh man. I mean, I believe personally it's super important especially now in today's day and age where production budgets are shrinking and everything's shrinking into smaller teams of people and people need to be um, multi-talented uh in order to be able to get jobs i think that's i think it's to me it's 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 really important um there are a lot of people, especially seasoned veterans within the industry, who will tell you differently. They're going to say, the only way to succeed is to niche in. You have to focus on one thing and that be the only thing you do. And you can't stray from it because people will think you're less of a professional if you do multiple things. But, you know, the thing is, is I come from Atlanta where just 10, you know, 11 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, we, we got these tax credits, right? So when Zombieland, when I heard that was filming, I was like, oh man, what the heck? We're, we're really gonna, we're, we're gonna have a film industry here. This is crazy. You know, I'm, I'm excited. And, and, and that excitement drove me to saying, you know what, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. And, and whether it was directing, like I said, directing, producing, editing, being the dp sometimes just producing whatever it may be uh, i just wanted to be in this industry and so it's pretty easy to dabble in different sort of skill sets and figure out what you don't like right it's really easy because a lot of people for instance editing they get into editing and they hate it they just absolutely hate sitting at a computer they hate having to make decisions they hate having to take up so much time editing so it's really easy for i think for people to get into something and figure out what they don't like i think it's a lot harder for someone to really discover not only what they really like but what they're good at and cinematography for me kind of pushed itself on me you know i didn't i didn't seek it out i was definitely trying to focus on being a director and i really wanted to be a director and that's it and through wanting to only do that I realized the only way that I really would be happy is to have multiple things that I do or multiple skill sets. So today I, I do all sorts of things, you know, just to continue working to make sure I'm always working. I'm, you know, very seldom now I'm my directing, but I still direct, I still produce, but mostly I'm a cinematographer. Uh, I do visual effects and also I'm a digital image technician. So I, those three jobs right there without even talking about anything else, uh, keep me busy but i also still take editing jobs and i do colorist work I, there's a lot of things i do um 
And I think it's really important for anyone trying to break into the industry to not pigeonhole yourself from the get-go at one thing. Because how do you know that you're not going to miss out on something not only that you would enjoy more, but you could be way better at, right? Like like a lot of people, and I see this a lot, especially now because it's the, the bar for entry is so low, so much lower than it was. I mean, someone will buy a camera, they'll buy a laptop, and next thing you know, they're directing and shooting music videos and really, you know, they hate editing or they hate the shooting of it or whatever it may be. They, they struggle to find what they want because they're cheat. They're trying the same thing I was doing. They're trying to go after this one thing and they haven't even tried these other things yet. So, you know, it's kind of like going to Baskin Robbins and they have, what is it? 30, 31, 31 flavors. I hope it's 31. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, There's a yeah, lot yeah. of flavors. Yeah. And, and you just go in and get Rocky road every time you never try anything else. Cause the one time you had Rocky road, you liked it and you just don't want to stray. And like, to me, what's the fun of that? Right, life is about exploring and, and and discovering new things and trying to figure out what it is you do and do, you know don't like. And Baskin Robbins is a great example. Like if I only had Rocky Road for the rest of my life, how would I know that mint chocolate chip isn't really good or co- chocolate chip cookie dough or even vanilla? Right? Like how do you know what you like if you don't give your chan- yourself a chance to explore those things? And so I think it's really important for everyone throughout the entertainment industry to try new things um and try developing your skill in different areas to to explore what what it is that maybe you might discover oh wow i never thought i'd like doing this and you know bam next thing you know you're doing makeup for creatures or something i mean what you know i've seen some people get into this business as a production assistant for instance that's one of the gateway jobs they get into the business as a production assistant but you know two years later they're an assistant director or two years later they're you know working as a in the lighting department and they thought they wanted to go into camera department or you know i've seen someone merge from being a pa to going into sound you know it's it, you never know where you might end up if you limit yourself from the get-go. So the moral of the story is go to Baskin Robbins. <laughs> yeah, and just, you know, try, try new everything. flavors. They give you, listen, the cool thing about Baskin Robbins is they have these little the little pink spoons. Yeah, little samples. Right, so you get a little samples. There's nothing saying that you got to get three scoops of this flavor you don't know you don't like. So just grab a little sample here, grab, you know, depending on which location you go to. Some of these people could be nice and they'll, they'll let you try all 31 flavors. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to try them all, they're going to let you try them all. And so, you know, that kind of goes into, you know, you and I were talking about before and we've talked about this is, is, you know, kind of doing free work or passion work. And that's those little samples, right? Those little pink spoons of samples. Those are like the, the, let me just try this. Oh yeah. I don't like that. Let me try this. I like that, but ah, yeah, no, no, let me, you know, and so, trying new things and not limiting yourself from the beginning is, is the gateway to discovering what it is you'll love to do. Would you say seasoned veterans who have that mentality of like, you've got to stay in one thing or want one flavor, if you will, or do you think in your opinion, they may be in trouble in the future? I mean, I get a lot of what I'm saying is opinion. So I can't really say for sure, but uh, my opinion is that, the people who only do one thing nowadays are working less and less. Um, and while decades in the industry might, you know, lend themselves to them having a high pay rate, uh, if you're not working all the time, that high pay rate doesn't really equate to what someone else can make at a lower pay rate, but having more jobs, right? So, you know, when you talk about just business wise, I think anyone would agree if you have something you sell that's a dollar and you can sell a thousand of them, it's better than having something that you can sell for a hundred dollars, but you can't sell any, right? So quantity, and that doesn't mean that quantity is more important than quality, but ultimately you can't gain experience if you limit how much you work. And so there's this old saying 10,000 hours or 10 years, you know, is what it takes in order to develop a craft or skill to the point where you're a master of it. And there's a lot of truth to that. And you can't 
have a shortcut to get through that process without working your tail off as much as possible. And so working your tail off, trying to figure out what it is you're good at as quickly as possible will lead you to the path of mastering whatever it is that you do discover that is your calling, right? So like if it takes you five or 10 years to even find your calling, you still got more time to become a master at that. So I think it's important for people just not to limit themselves. So we're talking about the, you know, these professionals who are, who are in the industry who only do the one thing, which, you know, uh, there, there's nothing wrong with that, especially a lot of those people are repped by agents or, 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 or someone who, who gets them that specific type of work, right. Or they get that type of work and that's all they're known for. And I think that's great, but I just could never imagine doing it myself. I mean, I, I just can't, I can't imagine sitting around only waiting and, and trying to stir up DP work or cinematography work. I, I just couldn't imagine that because there's so many people now, right? 10 years ago and 20 years ago, completely different story, even five years ago, right? But like in today's industry, I could not imagine sitting around just trying to be a DP because there's so much competition out there that you would not just out of pure, you know, straw, you know, the, the picking of the straws, you're not going to get every job. There's so much competition out there. There could be someone out there who, even though you're the right person for the job, they're willing to do it free. And only because they're willing to do it free, you're out of the job. So with that much competition, it, it just only makes sense to, to spread your skill sets and try to try to do other things. And would you say in being multifaceted, like you said, like directing, cinematography, DP, which is director of photography, all those skill VFX, editing, would you say all those skills led you to some of the celebrity clients that you worked with? I would say yes, and I would even say the opposite. Like sometimes working with these people have have led me to doing the skill sets, right? Like, um, I used to be really bad at coloring, uh, color colorist. So it was my least favorite part of the entire post-production. And I've been doing post-production since the beginning before I ever really ever got in. I mean, I'd picked up a camera, but, but before I really started even shooting too much stuff, I was already editing for two years. So, and what? And real quick, what is colorist? What is a colorist? That, that's that's the final stage. Normally, I mean, that's the final stage in which you you polish it. So, in audio production, it's the mastering stage, and in video production, it's the mastering of the video. So, what you're doing is you're bringing all of the whole edit and everything together, and you're you're color correcting it, and sometimes what they call grading, which is actually adding like an artistic. Uh, uh, choice to what the footage looks like, whether that be to convey emotion or just to match the aesthetic of the project or whatever it may be. But it's the very last stage of the project um, before delivery um, that, that kind of ultimately makes the whole project look the way it does. And normally the colorist works hand in hand with the director of photography on projects. So being a colorist um, I, and, and I've, I've done and, and mind you, colorist and DIT both kind of go hand in hand together a little bit. Um, those things have led me to working with with other artists in that capacity rather than being a DP. And and to answer your question, I think a little more directly, a colorist job is like when you take a photo on your camera in RAW and you bring it into Lightroom or whatever it is and, you, and you're editing or say you're just using your iPhone and you take a photo and you take it and you put it on Instagram and before you put it on Instagram, you ed edit the colors, yeah. right? You yeah. edit the exposure, you put a filter, you you lower the contrast, raise the contrast, you raise the saturation, whatever, whatever those things are, that's coloring, right? So you got to do that with video footage and it's incredibly much harder <laughs> with video than it is with photos. But to answer your question, that's what it is. And it's it's something that I struggled with for years. It was it was probably my least not only my least favorite, but the thing that I was the least good at, to be honest. And I have put so much effort into that over the past six years that um you know it's 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 incredible the amount of growth someone can have in one just one area if you just try and you know learn. So it, 
Hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, we talked about free work a little bit and, you know, whether it's editing, shooting or coloring or directing, like you're just, it's all about getting those reps in. Like you said, reps, you, yeah. you didn't like the way you colored, but I mean, how much work were, do you think you would, you did for no pay or just like spent hours on just to like get the practice? Cause nowadays even looking for help for even what I do or what you do is really hard. People don't want to put in the work. When I was directing a lot of music videos, for instance, um, I would edit a lot. I actually had every music video I ever directed about probably 99% of them. I edited them as well. And when it came to where the edit was locked and we were ready for color, I would either do one of three things. Either I would hire out a colorist who's way better than me. So I'd either send it to LA or find someone here in Atlanta. Most of the time I'd splurge and send it to LA and, you know, have someone color it there or so that's option one either hire a colorist who's way better than me which is the number one rule you always want to try to hire people who are better than you but number two i would slap something together because of the deadline forced me to not make it as good as it could be and just make it good enough to get it out or the third option i would sit there and struggle for hours upon hours or days going back and forth and with coloring especially if you don't have the right tools it's a lot of push and pull or or ebb and flow and and trial and error uh, especially not knowing what you're doing uh through iteration after iteration and sometimes i would spend what would take a professional colors three hours i could spend three days doing and it was meticulous and i hated it and it was only at the point where i said you know what i'm sick of not being able to charge people for this Right. And this is going to come full circle back to the free stuff. Like I'm sick of not being able to charge people. Like if I have to charge someone, I have to hire someone else out to do it, but I can't charge them for me to do it because I'm not good enough to do it. So I said, I've got to figure this out. I've got to, I've got to become a better colorist. And, you know, I have all these other passions, right? But I do a lot of post-production and unfortunately I kept hitting this bottleneck where I was not that great at coloring. And I said, well, the only way to do it is put those reps in and, just started coloring everything I could, everything I could. And every time I had to have a chance to say, spend two or three days on it, rather than slapping it together and throwing it out, I would spend more time and trial and error and trying to figure out how to get better at it. And hopefully that led to me uh, being better at it now. But does that, does that answer your question? Yeah. And I just really want to hit it home one last time about the importance of working for free and letting your ego go. And just doing it. I, th- I think there's a, a lot that you can say about that. Um, the running the running culture right now with working for free is that um, there's no better way to prove you can do something and that someone should pay you to do it than to do it. And so like that goes back to manifesting what you do. And just like I did when I started my company, I was directing, producing whatever I had to do to get these projects created to make them happen. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to is that unless you take the, the, the initiative, the the initiative and the control to make it happen, it's hard to, to expect someone just to start hiring you to do it. So there's, there's definitely, um, an expectation that you need to be able to to have on yourself that you're going to have to do free work to branch out into the areas that you want to get paid for that you don't have current jobs in. And I think that's the, for me, the ultimate rule is especially now is that if I ever, ever do anything for free, I've got to be learning a new thing, right? That's the main thing is like, if I'm going to do something free, it's got to be something I'm learning on because I'm so busy now that it's hard to spend a lot of effort and time learning something brand new or a technique that I have heard about or that I want to explore. And the best time to do that is on a job where there's no, you know, no pressure, right? Pressure. And that's the thing that you battle with working for people is that there's an expectation set and there's this pressure that, that pushes on you that doesn't allow you to take risks, right? So the risks come with the things that you have control over and you have ultimate say, it. you know, Hey, you know, I can spend eight hours on this when if a client was paying me, I could only spend two. And those those times allow you to explore those things a little better. So to me, uh, if you're going to work for free, 
you need to be learning a new skill set or exploring something you haven't done before. There's no reason you should be doing free work for things you're already good at. That's just my opinion. People are welcome to do whatever they want, but if you're going to do something free, have fun with it and learn while you're doing it. That's the the most important thing. And and I think to go with that, it just, if you're going to do something free, it's normally in the professional sense to explore an area in which you're not already getting work doing it. So like if you're a wedding, uh, sorry, if you're a wedding videographer, you're not going to offer to do someone's wedding for free. Right. But if you're a wedding videographer and you're trying to get into music videos, you might offer a music artist, you know, who's got a song on SoundCloud, like, Hey, I really like the song. I really like your, your vibe. Can I do a music video for you? I won't charge you anything. And it may not be the best music video, but Hey, that's one music video as opposed to your 50 weddings. And that's the way you got to look at it. And I don't think there's any shame in the game of doing free work as long as it's under the right context. But if someone just sends you a DM and is like, Hey, I see you're really good at shooting music videos. Can you shoot a music video for free? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and, you know, that's, that's for me, the free work thing is something that, you know, I think a lot of people are talking about nowadays because I think it's an understandable kind of unspoken thing that you have to do free work to branch out. And I think it's just that comes as a side effect to having so much competition in the industry now the the bar for entry has been set so low and it's you know there's nothing negative about that it's just technology right so the bar the level of entry is set so low now that anyone can get in and people are hungry right if you think that i was hungry back when i was working with butch walker right and i was offering to shoot for free for him that's nothing compared to some of these people today. Yeah, because right? now you can shoot it, all that stuff on your iPhone, right? Or and, your and, Android, and you can edit it on your phone, yeah. And then have it, you know, like if you real like, the th- and that's that's something we should definitely explore is talking about tools and like a lot of people put limitations on what they can do because they don't think they have the right things to do it. And and you know, I think that passion overcomes all of that, right? And drive and 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 motivation all those things override whatever roadblocks or hurdles you think you have and to me because there's so much competition here in the industry now it's 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 causing people to have to up their bar up their personal bars right so instead of being content and and complacent with doing this at whatever level it is and being okay with just hitting that mark well now you got to hit a little bit higher because there's 20 other people right in the same and you know same 50 mile radius as you who can do that or better and you got to keep raising your bar up and so you know it's important it's important to to explore things in a way that allow you to to kind of uh have enough experience under your belt to say well no i can charge for this now would you say that the excuse level is almost non-existent now if they wanted to get started in any type of filmmaking, cinematography, YouTube, anything to do with the camera? I would say that if anyone has an excuse now, that the only real excuse is you don't want it. Like, if you want something bad enough in this life, you will get it. Like, I didn't come from a rich family. I didn't have money growing up. Um, I was poor. So fast forward to now and I have two red cameras, right? Like that's insane to me. That's insane. Like I never even thought, first of all, 20 years ago when I had a little Sony Handycam filming a band, I never thought that I would have a film camera. And then I remember when Red announced that they were creating the Red One and I was like, oh, wow, this is this crazy thing. There's a film camera for $25,000. I can tangibly might maybe be able to get this, you know, and that back then, again, $25,000 for a single camera. And just the body, by the way. Yeah. It, it, just just the body you couldn't even you know f- couldn't even really use it for that but but that price to me back then even though that was a lot of money was still like i can i can achieve that so looking at the perspective now like 
you can, like you said, you can shoot now on your iPhone. I mean, the new iPhone 11 Pro is that what it is? Yeah, and and slow mo is incredible. Uh, you know, if you splurge and get Filmic Pro, you know, I think Moment makes another app too. I haven't, but these are cheap apps. Like the Filmic Pro, where you can film, you know, cinematic stuff with your iPhone is like fifteen dollars. Yep, yep, and I, I have shot lots of things on iPhones. I mean, I worked on an Apple commercial where I was the digital imaging technician and I worked on an Apple commercial about a year and a half ago um in which we shot with like seven iPhones. Like that's that we shot the entire project for Apple for this artist on iPhones. And and they were using Filmic Pro, you know, a lot of them were on gimbals, but that wasn't, you know, that was to me working on a real Apple commercial, right? Like literally being there working for Apple and shooting on an iPhone, right? And this is in uh, 2019 or is technically end of 2018, but you rewind to me in 2014, I think it was 2014, I shot an, a music video on an iPhone 4S, you know, like, and I was thinking back then and I was using Filmic Pro, I was thinking man, this is crazy. I'm just trying to prove a point. And the whole reason I shot a music video on an iPhone 4S is because people kept saying to me, oh, you're too expensive. I can't afford a music video because that's too expensive. And we're talking about a couple thousand dollars, right? So they're like, this is too too expensive. It's not worth it. Well, I went and made a music video with an iPhone and, you know, people quickly realize, oh, well, it's not just that this other guy can do it or this other guy can do it. Like the person behind the camera is really what's important, which kind of ultimately goes back into how it led me into realizing that I really like cinematography. But you know, the, the whole iPhone thing, bar of entry, the fact that you can pick up this little device, this iPhone, and then not only shoot, but edit and distribute everything from a phone. Like you could literally have nothing else and still put out content with an iPhone and, that's powerful. I mean, that's more powerful than 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 trying to achieve getting the latest Canon or Sony or Red or any other kind of camera. I mean, the thing that most people don't realize is that they make their own hurdles, right? They make the, these excuses that I can't do this without this tool. Or I can't do this without this tool. No, you just have to figure out how to do it without that tool, right? How do you do it? I mean, I... I, and I, this is no joke. I have seen dozens and dozens of people break into this industry with a simple old, old Mac using iMovie, right? They shoot, whether it be on their phone or a cheap $200 camera, whatever it is. Like, I think what was the big one for a long time? The Canon Rebel T2i, yep. right? T3i. T3i, yeah, 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 yeah. right. Like, the, like people literally, and I don't know even know how much that camera was, but uh, it was like four or five hundred bucks. It was pretty, it was, pretty it, it, cheap. It was, it was pretty inexpensive, right? But like, even that for some people is way too expensive. But let's just say someone could buy that camera and then use iMovie to create a commercial for their local hair salon or something, you know. And they could get paid five hundred bucks, and then there you go. Now they could buy an- another laptop, or they could buy a lens, or whatever it may be. You can't use the hurdles of not having something as an excuse to not do it, you know. And I think that the bar of entry or the level of entry being so low where it is now is there's never been a better time. I, I wish that 20 years ago I had access to the things that I have access to now. And I'm not talking about the stuff I own, like red cameras or any of that. I'm talking about just in general with technology, it's in, it's insane. I mean, if people even knew where our industry is going um, with how easy things are becoming, I'm talking about even on the biggest, biggest movies, it, it's things are going to get incredibly easy. Um, it's, it's, it's no joke. Cloud computing is merging into helping filmmakers and things are going to get incredibly, incredibly easy right now. Um, there's this big push with this company called Frame.io where as you shoot on the camera, the footage gets ingested into a server on set that gets transcoded and then uploaded to the cloud. And within three to five minutes of actually recording a take the producers and director and everyone on set can use an iPad to watch that same take on an iPad that just was on the camera. And, and, and 
all while camera department is still rolling on the next stuff. So that's incredibly powerful. Back, you know, just two years ago, you had to, you know, if you didn't have a DIT recording that feed or a, a video assist person recording that feed for playback, you'd have to slow down all of production just to watch that take. And the, the power to have it automated and kind of just uploading extends far beyond just what you can do of watching it on set on an iPad. I mean, we're talking about instantly now your post-production department who could be in Singapore or Australia or New York and you're shooting in LA or Atlanta instantly they have the takes rolling in as you're shooting them. They can already start editing them. So where that is taking our industry is a turnarounds are getting tighter right? Budgets are getting smaller and all of this stuff that the industry is moving forward with is kind of like fitting itself into making everything streamlined. And it's, it's going to get incredibly easy. And anyone who wants to get into this industry, who thinks that it's too hard, I think, I think I just beg you to just take, take, take a step back and realize that if you want anything in this life bad enough, you're going to go after it and you're going to get it. There's nothing that will stop you, uh, nothing at all, except for yourself. And I think we're all kind of our own worst critic or we're, own, we're our own roadblock. And you just got to kind of get out of that mindset. And I don't have like a secret code or, a, you know, a, a secret to tell someone to like kind of get that gone. But, you know, you just have to have ambition and drive. That's all it takes. I mean, it doesn't take knowing how to do something. It doesn't take, and that's probably the next thing we should talk about is like a lot of people, I get a lot of people asking me like how you get into the industry. And it's just like, it's not necessarily about, do you know how to do something? Right. It's, it's, it's like, who's willing to take a shot at giving you a chance. Yep. How do you get someone to give you a chance? And that was one of the main thing. And I really want to hammer on this no excuses thing. I'm so glad you said that because no matter what, and that was one of the main reasons I started the podcast was because, I mean, no matter what, and I always say no matter what part of the entertainment industry you're in or just anything in general, we're all in the same boat, just different sections. Yep. Like I'm more of an on you know, camera talent, but I know, you know, I know how to shoot, write, edit, produce. Like I know I'm very multifaceted. You, you know, you're, you know, you've got directing, photography, you've got so many video and photo skills, like, but you, you just, you had to learn. Like there was no way I call it, you know, when people go on uh, YouTube, like, YouTube University. University. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, that's why I always tell people. It's like, I, I, just, I'm not going to lie. I still go on YouTube. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's almost impossible. Like, I had a client one time yell at me for, like, not knowing something about editing. And I've been editing for, like, 10 years. It's like, it's almost impossible to know. But it's just, like, the excuses. It's like, I You'd see You'd be all surprised at how many professionals have to relearn things 100%. over and over. And, and with technology changing, things can change. Like, the same thing you've been doing can have a new way of doing it exactly and just there's just there's no excuse with every with just so many just like i said back there, in the day there wasn't there wasn't that much stuff but now there wasn't even youtube back then right so like and, there was no way to share information like that and youtube was a dating site back in the day i, I don't even remember that yeah I, so. I, we're talking about we're talking about even before myspace right but like there was a time that, and this just shows, you know, I I hate to be like the guy who remembers the time before Facebook and MySpace, but I mean, bringing people together in social networks has done nothing but good, in my opinion, for for growth within this industry. It's it's allowed a lot of people to get in, and every single year that we go by the bar of entry gets lower and lower and lower and allows more and more people to explore this industry. And, you know, whether it be in front of the camera, behind the camera, way far away from the camera, whatever it may be. I mean, if you want into this business, it's, 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 it's waiting for you. You know, you just gotta, you have to take the first initiative. There's always that thing that people say is you have to just, be willing to take that first step and get, you know, get the fear out of your mind. I think fear always leads to control, right? So it, the more and more people can keep you in fear of, of doing what it is you want to do, the more they're controlling your actions. And you just got to say, no, I'm not going to let people, you know, make me afraid of 
getting into this like the the biggest common thing that i can say what i'm talking about is like being a child or a kid or a teenager or a young adult and your parents saying we want you to be a doctor or we want you to go in the military or we want you to be a lawyer or whatever it may be in, instead of going into some art or creative uh uh uh, uh job you know you can battle with that all you want you know all, all you'll let it but it all it takes is you saying no i'm not going to be afraid to try this yeah i could fall completely on my face but i'm willing to take that chance because it's something i believe in and i think that ultimately the, the ability to allow yourself to fail is the gateway for success so the faster and the more accumulative that you can uh, achieve failure, you will win, right? We're talking about odds, right? You play the lottery enough, you'll win the lottery. But if you never play the lottery, you're never going to win. So the, the, the more raffle tickets you buy, right, the more of a shot you're going to have at winning. And so, you know, you, you just ultimately have to take down your, your, your self-doubt you have to you have to push that aside and say, I'm just going to take the first step. Leap of faith, if you will. Yeah, and I think, and I kind of want to wrap with this, I think a lot of people think failure is a bad thing. No, not at all. No, it, I, it's taken, I'll be honest with you, man, it's taken me a long time to finally, like, because you, you hear about it, like, oh, fail forward, you know, da, 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 da. It's taken a long time to realize that failing is probably one of the major keys to success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as a, as an, an entrepreneur business owner, not even talking about creative, yep. but just as a, a business owner, you, you know, you, you get into the, to, you get, you get used to the nose, right? Because you can't get a yes without collecting nose. So like we're constantly bidding on projects or bidding on jobs and putting in quotes and going after work, trying to get more work as a freelancer or as a business owner. And, you know, you, you can't expect every time you get up to bat, you're going to hit a home run, right? You can't expect that. You have to expect it's going to take X amount of, you know, of being up to bat before I get a home run. You know, I may get a, a double, I may get a single, you know, I may get a triple, you know, I may get a foul ball, right? I may strike out, but unless you get up to bat, none of those things are possible. So you got to put yourself in a position to allow yourself to fail and embracing failure. Like I said, is the gateway to success. You cannot be successful if you're not willing to fail and nobody's, you know, I tend to believe there's nobody who's great at it. Um, but the better you get at failing and dusting your shoulders off and, you know, standing back up and keep moving forward, you know, the, the sooner you'll find success or the sooner you'll just be happy, which is really what I would like to segue into, which is that the, the, the how you gauge making it or how you gauge success is in how happy you are where you're at doing it. And, I find personally that the more you fail and the more you're learning, you know, that's going to be the gateway to being successful and figuring out what you like and, you know, being uh, con content with where you're at with it. Definitely appreciate it. that. was awesome. I kind of want to end on that note for people who want to find you online. Where can we find you? Um, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. It's my real name. I use my name everywhere. Um, my company is Real Mind Studios, R-E-E-L-M-I-N-D-S-T-U-D-I-O-S, uh, Real Mind Studios, uh, Tim Daust, T-I-M-D-A-U-S-T. You can Google me. You can look me up on all social media platforms. All right, that does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And I would love your help. This podcast is brand new, so I need all the help I can get. If you would, just subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating. I really, really would appreciate it. And last but not least, I got a little something for you. For the last 10 years, I have been writing, shooting, producing, editing my own video to get my dream job as an entertainment reporter in Los Angeles interviewing the stars. Now, that might not be your dream, but if you are in this industry and you are in this field, 
you are going to need to learn how to write, shoot, and edit, produce your own content. And now I want to personally train you on these skills so you can create your own journey and make money while doing so. So what I want you to do now is log on to Facebook and request to be in my private Facebook group, On Camera Professionals. Once again, it is called On Camera Professionals. But wait, Thomas, I really like your stuff. I really want to learn from you, but I don't want to be on camera. Don't worry, I got you covered. In this group, I'm going to be doing a live training, so that means live tips and tricks. I'm going to do giveaways, freebies, and I'm also going to do personalized training. So once again, log on to Facebook and type in On Camera Professionals, and I'll see you there.